You know, it's really our goal is to, uh, to know, follow, and become like Jesus and help everyone take their next step. And, and we don't want anyone... I mean, if you're here for the first time and you're starting to say, you know, what about God in your life? That's really, we don't want anyone to miss, to step outside of his incredible love and the truth that he will guide you in, where he will begin to fashion and form you to become just like Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, it's fun to see all those things in our community. You heard all these things and we're talking about life change, but we also are about being life changers. And, and we see it in lots of different ways. I had an opportunity yesterday to stop by the uh, Hammers Hope, but then also stop by the men's golf um, outing. And, and the, the team that, guess who the team that took it was? It was a team that was at the golf place that just showed up. We don't know who they are. They won it, and they took our traveling trophy. We don't know if we'll ever get it back. But anyway, <laughs> it's traveling now for good. But we have all kinds of joy and all kinds of good things that happen. And we also in our community have some real sorrow um, and some of you know the Schultz family, and Ken passed away this week, and uh, we, we grieve with them as well. So it, it's not about just being up, and, and it's not about just being down. It's about being together in community. And you're that community for one another. And what a wonderful truth. I, I have to say, as I begin this message, I'm offended. Just change the tones a little bit, but I'm offended. I saw a lot of you in the hallway and you didn't even say hi. But anyway, we got that call. Because we're talking about being easily offended today. And it's amazing, this whole idea of taking offense. As I was um, thinking about how easily we're offended, and I think about this message, it seems today there is a, what I call a sensitivity addiction I hear someone say, right? Um, there is a, a, as we talk about acceptable addictions, one that you find um, in your home or in the workplace, um, in, on a team of sports you play with, or if it be in, the, in, in business, if it be in the church, is there's this sense of it's okay to be offended and to take offense and to carry offense and to give that offense to other people's to carry our church struggles with it, but you know what? All kinds of churches throughout the nation struggle with it. I talk with pastors, and it just seems to be somewhat epidemic. And uh, I, I titled this idea, Acceptable Addictions, a sensitivity addiction, specifically this idea about being easily offended. In John Bevere's book, and I encourage you, there's a couple places where you can look and hear better messages than I'm going to give you today um, on offense. And one of them is by a book by um, John Veer called The Bait of Satan. A wonderful book. Bait of Satan. B-A-I-T. The Bait of Satan. Another thing is if you want to just um, go on the internet and, and pick up a Joyce Meyer talk. She has a couple of them on offense that are just terrific. Great stuff. John Bevere says in his book, The Bait of Satan, Living Free from the Dre- Deadly Trap of Offense. In the last part of the 20th century... Knowledge has greatly increased in the church. I think that's worldwide. But in the church, knowledge has greatly increased. But even with this increase, it seems that we have experienced more division among believers and leaders and congregations. The reason, writes Bevere, offense is rampant from a lack of genuine love. 
So many are snared in this deceptive trap that we have almost come to believe it is a normal way of life. And before the return of Christ, however, true believers will be united, he says, unlike anything in the past. And he writes, I believe that today countless men and women will be released from this trap of offense. He kind of sees as Christ's return is coming closer this trap that the church has been in, God will intervene as people respond to him and they will begin to be set free. Hallelujah. This will be one of the main links in seeing revival sweep this nation, he writes. Unbelievers will behold Jesus through our love of one another where they have been blinded to him before. This is what God is doing in his church and around the world. And I think that's what he's been doing even in us. I believe that God is preparing and continues to prepare us for the things that he has yet before us to experience. His revival work, which we can move into. So this message, but really more so than the message, the truth of this word, of God's word around this idea of offense. So this isn't about me. This is about what Jesus has to say with regard to this. This truth in his word that sets people free can do incredible things. This message is imperative for us to hear. It is what I would call one of those kind of messages when Jesus spoke to people. He said, if you have ears to hear. Now, I look at all of you have ears. He's talking about something more important than that. He says, in your heart, if your heart is soft enough and humble enough and willing to hear with those kind of ears spiritually, then open it up and receive. This is not about anything other than saying, God, Holy Spirit, each one of us. It's not about looking at anyone else. It's just about saying, God, Holy Spirit, in my heart and life, Am I carrying offense? Am I taking offense? Am I easily offended? Let's pray. Father, I pray for me as I've been studying and praying about this, as I come now before you and as people here, as you are here, each and every one of you, I pray for you. Spirit of God, come and work in our hearts and free us from this trap. And I, if you have it within you, this morning, would you, in your own heart, before God, say, free me from this trap of offense. It's before him and just say, free me from this trap of being easily offended. Help me to take another step to be more like you, you Jesus, who never carried offense. Father, may we be these kind of people, we pray in your name. Amen. You know, the words offense, offenses, offend, offended, offender, those kind of words all on that same cognate idea, appear a total of 73 times in the Bible. And then all kinds of other words around that. Sometimes an offense is slight. It's just a little thing. Sometimes it can be a deeply delivered wound. And it can then carry with it a resentment that a person actually takes with them through the rest of their life. You may be in a place like that right now. 
I find it interesting that some people hardly notice an offense. Have you ever seen that? So some people just, just, just don't seem to be very easily offended. And then there are some who are actually even able to bear some of the meanest personal attacks. I actually have through this, I do this often with messages, but this week specifically I've talked to a number of different individuals, um, called some and spoke to people who I just go, you know, I've watched their life in this body and I've gone, man, what is it about you? You just don't seem to pick up offense very often. And I found it really interesting. Um, just to hear some of their answers, and, and, and it kind of fits with a lot of what I'm going to say. They just are not easily offended. And I think that's the kind of person Jesus was. It's pretty clear. We're told in Scripture he didn't take offense. So first I want to just share with you a few things. One is um, I, I want to share with you this whole idea of um, how we take offense, um, the ways that happens, why, what to do about it, and then some choices so that maybe you can be like Jesus who, as we know, follow and become like him, we become uneasily offended people. Okay? Wouldn't that be great? Let's, let's track with that and see. Um, people are easily offended, and here's how. There's a variety of ways that people are offended, and on top of that, just being easily offended, some people actually in relationship right now, you may be in a relationship right now where you're looking to be offended. And, and I mean that. You're, you're, you're walking in situations where you're, you're watching for the opportunity to take offense. There's a lot of ways that people are offended. We're, we're offended with other people, plain and simple. People who fail to meet our expectations, in fact, may intentionally hurt us. You can be offended with yourself. You make a resolve to do something, you fail, and you resolve to do it again with all your heart, and you fail again, and you fail again, and you become offended with your own inability to do what you've been promising yourself to do. And you can't forgive yourself. And God loves you and tells you that, but you don't believe it. And deep underneath some of that is the fact that I don't know if we really know ourselves, like ourselves, and really truly understand who God is in relationship to ourselves. You can be offended with the government. I won't go there. Um, you can be offended with trouble and trials. You ever had those kind of experiences? You say, yeah, I can't believe it, God. I've been walking with you. I've been serving you. I've been, I've, been, I've been doing all that I can. I know that I'm doing what I can. And then all of a sudden, this would come into my life? Or you're not answering this in my life? And you can become offended with God at trials and the difficulties that entered your life. You can be offended with God's word. Truth actually offends. One of, one of the actual words in Hebrew for truth is it's like a wrestler who pins you down. It's like a, a knife that actually stabs you. You can actually be offended with God's word, his truth. Uh, in fact, a lot of people don't even want to hear anything about this because it's so offensive to the way they want to live. At one point in John chapter 6, verses 60 and 61, after Jesus had been speaking with his disciples, he said, Therefore many of his disciples, John tells us, when they heard that this said about eating my body, drinking my blood, it says that this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And so Jesus said, conscious, aware of his, that his disciples were grumbling. See, when truth enters into your life, one of the things you can do with truth is, oh, I can't believe that God's telling me I'm not going to do that. And you, you grumble. And you take offense at the thing that he's telling you to do. And then you get upset about it. And one of the things we love to do is carry that offense and, then, and have others carry it with us because then we feel self-justified and righteous and we can be offended. And so they 
are told that they grumbled at this, and it says, Jesus says, does this offend you? Isn't that interesting? Are you guys offended? You can be offended with Jesus. Jesus actually is called in the Bible the stone that causes people to stumble. That's one of the names for Jesus. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, he says at one point, look in Jerusalem. Look, you guys, in Jerusalem, there is a cornerstone that has been laid. I'm not talking about the temple. I'm talking about Jesus. And for those of you who believe, who trust in this Jesus, and you, you build your life on this cornerstone, you begin to experience the kind of structure in your life that can change things and can allow for God to dwell in your life and for him to begin to bless you and your relationships. But for those, says Peter, who are disobedient, which is interesting, disobedience is the same word that he's using here for those who failed to believe. So you may say all you want that I believe in God, but if you are disobedient, it shows you don't really believe him in a certain area. And those who are disobedient, Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, is what he says. Jesus offended his family, his hometown crowd, his closest friends. He actually, at one point, if you read in Matthew, even offended John the Baptist. He offended his disciples. He offended the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the elders, the Sanhedrin, the Herodian, the Zealots, Pilate, and Alvaro. Pretty much everyone took offense because there's a sense that Jesus comes with truth and he comes and he says, I'm coming with a claim on your life that isn't mine, but it's God the Father through me. And, 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 and the truth itself, Jesus offended many. It's amazing that you can be offended. This is what really is amazing to me. When God speaks the truth, he's doing it to share with us something about himself so that we can experience more fully his love, and we don't want to hear that. And so what amazes me is that we can be offended by God's love. In fact, as a follower of Jesus, you will at times fight to keep from being offended by God. You will have to fight from being offended by God because you're going to have to at times in your life because things that are happening, things that are changing and trials that may come in or, or, or things such as that, you will have to believe that God's way is higher than your way. Or you can take offense. And there's a variety of ways to do that, that you can be offended. So let, let's get practical for just a minute. And I'd love for you, there's little... If you want to grab the little paper in the pew before you, or if you just want to put on your hand three fingers, I just want you to list three people who have offended you. Okay? List three people who have offended you. Think about that for a second. And then in your mind, put a star by the one who's closest to you. Okay? Because I want you to be processing this with something real to life, okay? In your life. Now, those three that have offended you, turn to someone close to you and tell them who they're... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I want you to ask yourself two questions when you think about these three people. Are you still offended? Are you looking to be offended? So are you still offended? And now you're in a place where you're looking to be offended. Here's the truth. If you want to, I can promise that... I can promise this, that you um, will uh, have many opportunities to do this because Satan will give you all kinds of opportunities and reasons to take offense. 
The question truly is this, as you look at those three people, will you choose to continue to live there? What will you do to get out of the trap of remaining offended? I heard this said once, and I think it's really good, so you might want to write this down. I didn't say it, but I like it. The only part of me that can be offended is the part that hasn't died to self. Isn't that interesting? The only part of me that can be offended is the part that hasn't died to self. People are easy to offend, and here's why. Let me just give you a few reasons here. The reasons are pretty simple. First, it's inevitable. We will step on one another. We live in a very crowded world in the sense of, of, of life, and we will step on one another's toes intentionally or not. It's just going to happen. Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, he says these words, things that cause people to sin, and the word is actually things that cause offense. Things that cause offense are bound to come. You can't help but live life. It's inevitable. Traffic, grocery lines, flat tires and children, I was wondering why I put flat tires and children together when I was writing this, and then I thought, oh yeah, both of them are unexpected and they do things you're not prepared for, right? You see, it's not a question of opportunity to be offended, but what is your response to it? So it's inevitable. Let me share with you another. It will increase. Did you know that the whole idea of being offended is going to increase every day we move closer to the time when Jesus will return? It's not going to decrease it will increase. Matthew 24, 10 is a very interesting chapter. And in fact, if you look at chapter 23, um, the, what Jesus has to say the chapter before this is really interesting because he spends, it's, a long, it's probably one of the longest t- words that, he, that is recorded in the Bible. It's by Matthew where he goes, woe to you, 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 all these woes. And he's basically saying, because to the Pharisees and to the scribes and the religious leaders, he calls them whitewashed tombs. So, so before we get to this verse 10, which I'm going to read in a moment, you, you, it, it follows in the backdrop of it. The backstory is Jesus calling people whitewashed tombs. That's a kind of offensive thing. You, you look really nice on the outside, but you stink of death on the inside. He's looking at these people and he's calling them vipers. He looks directly at them and he says, you're, you're hypocrites. And I imagine they took offense, right? Because we're told on many occasions they started to think how they could because they so took offense at these words, which were true. They were thinking, how do I get rid of them? That's almost what happens when we take offense in our lives with other people. We begin to think about, how do I get rid of them? And how, do, how do I separate myself from them? And the whole reason we take offense and we carry offense is often when we carry offense, we, we become so offended that we want others to carry that offense with us. And, and so then we build a party of offense so that you can separate yourself from those that you feel offended for. That's just how it works. So Matthew 24, 10, it's really interesting. Before the second coming, at that time, says Jesus, many will be offended and, betray, and, and, and will betray and they'll hate each other. And, many, and this is where we pick up on it. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
I think people love to talk about the return of Christ, but one of the things that they miss in here is that there will be a rise of the spirit of offense. And a lot of times we think, well, it's just people who don't believe in God. They're going to be the ones offended. I don't think so. Have you ever noticed that the church often is kind of like the world? It's a funny thing. And he says that that's going to increase. And basically, the closer the Jesus is to coming, the more people will be offended and the less loving people will be. It's inevitable, says Jesus. It will increase. The speed of change alone brings some of that technology, scientifically, informationally. Politically, it shows up a little right that people are offended, right? Environmentally, and on and on. I was reading in the internet this article, and in it they're saying with social media today, there's, there's an increase of people being offended. In fact, one of the things I try and encourage our elders to, to do is to not get into a situation where we're writing emails back and forth about some issue because you know what happens? You can write things and you don't see their face. You don't really understand what's going on. You don't have the same kind of relationship. You don't have the ability to talk, keep talking. It's, and you can, is, has anybody been on that road? It's just not a good thing. And the person says, if you participate, he's responding to a person who is easily offended and, and he says to him, if you're really easily offended, don't join social media. You'll most likely get a thumbs down. You'll most likely get negative reviews. You're most likely to receive insulting messages from random people. You're most likely to be often under, misunderstood. And then he goes, here's why. Because in social media, it's a community of people from different countries and cultures. Things acceptable on one aren't acceptable on the other. In social media, he says people who speak, they just speak different languages. So you may say something and sound in a certain, you know, sound in a certain way and be taken in a certain way. Social media, he says, is people of different ages, generation gaps. The fact that you have different generations, they just see life differently. And so it's easy to not understand. Social media, people with different motivations. People come to meet friends, some kind of find, come to find, seek love, others come to um, network with business partners. And then he says social media is a, is a community of different people. Let's face it, people aren't like you. It reminds me of, a, 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 of the title of John, Arthur, uh, John Ortberg's book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. Right? <laughs> and as I was reading through this, I just thought to myself, that's not the social media community. That's just life. And how much more so in life today when the world is just shrinking and all the cultures are coming together and people are living longer and little people are getting older, more mature and so You know, you get all this stuff going on and, and then you think about how that happens in a church setting. And one of the things that God calls us to do is to learn how to to deal with this whole matter of offense because it will increase and it is a hidden thing. That's what often happens. We don't even catch it. What happens is, is Satan is looking to get us into this trap of offense. The Bible describes it like this. So not only will it, will it be inevitable and increase, but it's, it's hidden. It's a baited kind of trap. This is what the Bible says. It's something unseen. It, it, in a sense, the Greek word to offend is the word scandalon. And originally, the word referred to the part of the trap to which the bait was attached. So you would have a trap. And, and anyone who's done much trapping, like I have in, in, in my little um, hobby farm barn, but I use live traps, so I can't use this. Anyway, um, but if you've ever trapped it, you know, like a mouse trap, you put a little cheese or peanut butter or you put something on it, right? 
And the whole idea is to get that bait in order to hook them so that they get trapped. And that's how it's kind of, when an offense comes, what happens is an action occurs. That action with it has this trap that happens in our life that causes us to be offended and then to take offense. Originally, as as this word was used, it's the idea of laying a baited trap in someone's way. Every day, it's inevitable. It will increase. Every day, there are baited, hidden traps waiting for you because Satan wants you to take it and he wants it to destroy your life and he wants it to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your business. He wants to destroy the relationships in your life. And if he can get you to take the baited trap, you will then move into these things which the Word of God says are are all kinds of things, all kinds of fruits that are anything but what like Jesus tells us about because they bring anger and they bring hurt and they bring um, a desire for revenge. They bring all these kinds of things. It's all about separating. The fruit isn't good. And what he loves to bait us most often on is an action occurs and it usually hits something else in in our system, in our life that has already received a wound. You ever had a bruise deep within you and then someone just bumps by it and you go, whoa! And cut it out and, and you're kind of going, whoa, that's a little, little sensitive there, aren't you? A little sensitivity addiction? Yeah, of course! There's a wound there that ne- yes, needs to be healed. So pay attention to that. It's a hidden thing. Um, we're trapped by unintentional and even intentional actions. We feel it, we experience it, and we bite the bait. John Bevere puts it this way, no matter what scenario, um, what the scenario is, we can divide all offended people into two major categories. Those who have been treated unjustly, right? Because you're kind of going, man, wait a second. I have been untreated unjustly. And then he says, those who believe they have been treated unjustly. There's a lot of people who go, I have been treated unjustly because they believe they have. May not necessarily. People in the second category, says Bevere, believe with all their hearts they have been wronged. Often their conclusions are drawn from inaccurate information or their information is accurate but their conclusion is distorted. Either way, they hurt and their understanding is darkened. They judge by assumption, appearance, and hearsay. And, and the hidden bait is taken according to the action done. And the trap is this, folks. Here's the trap. It's the belief that we have the right to be offended. So whether it's intentional or unintentional, the trap is this. What hooks you is this. I have a right. You better believe I have a right to be offended. And you believe what they did, and, 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 and you can build all the justification around it. The Word of God is clear if you look at Jesus, who had all the right in the world to carry offense. And he didn't. So finally, of these things of why, it's usually quite small. The big ones we kind of get, it's the small ones we miss. 
The word scandalon is used throughout the New Testament. This idea, it's a rock that trips you up. It's this idea that you're walking along. As you walk along, you hit something, and you didn't even know it was there, and you, and, and you were tripped. And usually they're not big things, because how many miss the big things? Usually the big things that hit you is maybe something thrown at you. That's an inten- Let's say that's intentional. It's the ones that are little that maybe just you get tripped up on. And what happens is it happens enough that a small offenses add up. And after a while, they keep adding up. And now you're in a situation where you're kind of protecting yourself. And, 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 and you're in this place where you're going, whoa. These offenses have gotten to the point now where I'm looking for this. Now, there's things that need to be done around that, boundaries, all kinds of other stuff, but right now I'm just talking about this action of offense. Song of Solomon in the Old Testament says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, our vineyards that are in bloom. So if I was to say it according to the Minnesota paraphrase, it would be catch for us the little bunnies and the little bugs that ruined my backyard garden, right? See, all Satan needs is a foothold. He just wants a little room to work so that he can build on that. Joyce Meyer calls them spiritual hangnails. That's really what they are. It's a little, you know, ow. But here's the truth. Satan only needs a foothold to begin to build a stronghold. And what I found, what's really interesting, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, we're told this, with spiritual weapons of grace and love, the, the things, you know, when most of the love grow cold, we're told in the end times, it's this very love that seems to counteract this. He says, with these spiritual weapons, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Because once Satan has built a stronghold in your life through these, this foothold, now you have the right, you've taken the bait, you've gotten the trap, now you have the right, and you basically are saying, every reason and argument you can give, you have all the reasons there, and you will just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and the whole purpose is really in some sense to stay in your stronghold so that you can get into an argument in a place where you can remain there and that's all about pride and I have to share with you this as your pastor I know that trap I'm sharing with my daughter this this morning about what are you speaking of dad and I said well about this she goes you're going to use any personal examples right you asked me that and I thought well not really until this point I know what that's like in marriage I know and I can be and, and I'm, I'm telling you this because I think a few of you may do this I'm not I'm, it's just I mean I know you all have good marriages but you know what I can be in a place where I can just go I'm holding on to something and I can have every argument and rationale and my wife can look at me with her pretty eyes and it still sometimes doesn't just soften my heart. Because only humility brings you to that place. Only the Spirit of God. And I remember at a certain point, I remember one time in a car ride, I was just learning this stuff about six, seven, eight years more ago, maybe ten, I don't know. I remember just driving with her and I go, yeah, I'm just arguing to argue right now. And she looks at me and goes, yep. Yes, Satan wants people in the fight. He loves the fight. He glories in the fight. 
You can have all the reasoning and arguments that you want. 10,000 reasons, not like the song of praise, but 10,000 reasons to pridefully defend where you're at. You may have a reason to be offended, but you don't have the excuse to stay offended. You get that? You may have a reason to be offended. You may need to work that through and deal with that in the way that you need to, however that's to be. The Bible gives you opportunities in Matthew 18. There's other places. But you do not have the excuse to stay offended. Jesus took away that excuse on the cross. When Jesus pointed out our huge offense to God and others, when Jesus paid for every sin and offense on the cross, he took our right to remain offended away. The bait that is there is the action. The trap is the fact that we believe we have the right to be offended. We don't. And the reason we don't is because we've offended our God. We have done things against our God. And if you get, you really get right with that, you go, you know what? What I've done before you does not compare to what you have done to me. Both the offenses intentionally done and those unintentionally done have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus himself has said, Father, forgive them. They do not even know what they do. I let them go. And I have given up my right to hold on to the offense, which means so also do I. People are easily offended. And here's the two simple things you have to do. I love this commitment of Paul in Acts 24, verse 16. He says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And what you don't catch in that is the King James Version. Anybody still like the King James Version? There's, there's a part where it says, in it, I exercise. So his idea, he's, you know, people who exercise often, why they do it is to stay in good shape. And so he says, I, I exercise often this. This is what I'm exercising often. I exercise constantly to keep my conscience void to offense toward God and toward men. Isn't that interesting? Toward both God and toward other people. I work out on a daily basis, says Paul, because I know there's some things I have to exercise and do if I am going to stay free of offense. I, at one point, I did a message a while back on complaining, and one of the things I did at the end is I asked everybody to raise their hand to some things, and I had people raise their hand. I said, the first thing is I agree, and everyone who wants to agree, so I didn't coerce anybody, but if you want to agree, I com- agree complaining is a sin. I found out afterwards there were a number of people who were offended by that. So, I, honest to God. And I, I remember thinking to myself, where in the Bible does it say it's okay? I'm not saying any of these things about you. This, is, this all applies to me. Okay? This is the reason I do these messages for my own therapy. Okay? You guys just get to participate watching. I love what, um, what Michael W. Smith says. He says, my two biggest prayers, this is this worship guy who writes all these worship songs and courses, my two biggest prayers are never to be offended by anybody for the rest of my life. How many would like to make that commitment? Yeah, you don't feel coerced, but if you would like to, I, would, I, I, I love this because I don't want you to get angry afterwards, but my two, don't be offended here. Okay. Here it is. 
my, your prayer will be this, to never be offended by anybody for the rest of my life, okay? To take offense, to carry the offense. I, I'm not going to do that. And then he says, my other is this, to, to be the perfect conduit for what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And, and, you, and if you live free of offense, you begin to be this perfect conduit. So, so you're probably asking me, okay, let's get to this here. What is it that you're talking about that you need to do? Here are the two things that you need to do. He says, keeping your conscience clear, free of offense. So here's what easily, not easily offended people do. People who are not sensitivity addicted, they forgive. They just live a life of forgiveness. To forgive means to let go. What I find interesting, I read to you verse 17 of, 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 of verse, chapter 17, verse 1 of Luke a little bit ago. What I didn't do is read to you the rest of it. I said it was, you know, he talks about it's inevitable, that you're going to be offended. But what I didn't read was the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Here's the really hard part. I like J.B. Phillips paraphrase it this way. I like most of it. One part I'm not as crazy about. He says, if your brother offends you, this is in chapter 3, verse 4 of verse, chapter 17. If your brother offends you, take him to task about it. That's a little harsh. That's not really. It's, it's idea, it, when we hear the word confront is what it usually means. It's this idea what you confront in a real. I, I, what confronting is this. It's saying, here's a gift. I really want to be present with you. I really want God's best in your life. And I just want to take a moment. And it, can I share with you what I see? see. That's taking someone to task according to Phillips. Anyway, um, and if he's sorry, forgive him. Yes, if he wrongs you, here's what Jesus says, seven times in one day and turns to you and says, I'm sorry, seven times, what must you do? You're not forgiving him for his sake necessarily. You're forgiving him for your sake. You're forgiving him because you've made a commitment that you won't carry offense anymore. You have said just a moment, some of you, you raise your hands. You have said that I will let that person go because the greatest gift God has for me is to let go of this and not carry it. I will stay free from being offended. And forgiveness is, is the key to that. And the apostles, they looked at him after they saw all this stuff before, all the miracles he did, and they look at him and go, well, you've got to give us more faith for this, God, because that's a huge miracle to do this. And he goes, yeah, you'll never do it in yourself. You'll never do it by yourself. You need God. It shows you your own brokenness. It shows every one of us the limits we have. I don't have the ability to do that. I need God. And he replied, if your faith were as big as the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to a fig tree, pull yourself up by the roots and plant yourself in the sea, and it would do as you said. So God, I just need a little more faith. And then love. Get up and keep walking in love. Don't react out of fear. Don't put up all your own self-protective boundaries. You need to ask God, God, what is it that I'm supposed to do in this? Because I'm not carrying offense, but I'm going to love. And it means you won't then jump to anger. Because a lot of times when we find things and God does things, trials come to our life, changes occur. What we actually do is we get afraid because we don't like the changes. You get afraid. And then instead of, of taking the fear and moving to a place of sadness and going, God, help me in this. I understand that this is changing or I understand i got to let go. As you moved into this place of sadness now god can meet you there but if you jump to anger and i'm going to fight i'm going to protect and you do it your way god can't be in that you have to love proverbs 17 9 says this whoever would foster love covers an offense but whoever repeats the matter separates 
close friends. You carry it, and you bring it, and you have other care, and you separate. Here's what Jesus commands in Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 47. Listen to these words. You're familiar, says Jesus, with the old written law. Love your friend and its unwritten companion. Hate your enemy. I'm challenging that, says Jesus. I'm telling you, this is in the message. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For when you are working out of your true self, your God-created self, that is what... This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If, you all, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. John Bevere tells the story of what he learned of how to walk in love, what it means to love. Because like Jesus, um, there is a love. We can live in this way where we're, where we're not like Jesus. Let me say it that way. Jesus is basically saying, there is a love. You can scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. You can treat me kindly and I'll do the same. That's what Jesus was talking about here. But he goes on to say, there is a love that gives without condition. It is the love that only God can give. Without God's love, we only offer selfish love. But to love like Jesus is to love regardless of the response. You ever done that? Regardless of the response. I'm going to ask the team to come. I'm just going to share the last part of this song. This, um, before they share the song and I share this story. Bevere continues, there was a time when I did everything I could show, uh, that I could do to show my love to a certain person. But it seemed that every time I reached out to love, the person slapped me back with criticism and harsh treatment, and this went on for months, and one day I was just fed up. You ever had that kind of situation, that circumstance? You keep loving, you're loving, and you're, you're kind, of, kind of hoping the response will change, but it doesn't. And at one point he said, I complained to God. I said, God, I've had it. Every time I show your love to this person, I get anger thrown back in my face. I'm just through with this. And then he says, the Lord began to speak to me. He said, John, you need to develop faith in the love of God. And he's kind of scratching, what do you mean, Faith. He who sows to his flesh will reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will reap, uh, will, uh, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season, that's a really important word, as you keep sowing in love, in due season you will reap if you don't lose heart. John, you're losing heart. You need to realize, he said, Jesus kept speaking to him. It was like just, start just downloading in his heart. You need to realize that when you sow the love of God, you will reap the love of God. You need to develop faith in this spiritual law. You may need yourself right now in a situation to develop faith in this spiritual law that as you love and you continue to sow the love, at some point there will be a harvest. That's not yours to control. 
He says, you need to develop faith in the spiritual law, even though you may not harvest it from the field in which you sow. You may be sowing into a person, and you may never see it. Or it may not happen as quickly as you want. This is what Jesus is downloading kind of into his heart. John goes on, he says, And the Lord continued, and he said to me this, In my greatest hour of need, John, my closest friends deserted me. Judas betrayed me. Peter denied me. The rest fled for their lives. I had cared for them for over three years. Yet as I died for the sins of the world, I forgave their offenses. I loved them. I released all of them from my friends who had deserted me to the Roman guards who had crucified me. They didn't ask for forgiveness, yet I freely gave it. I chose to love them with all I had. I had faith in my Father's love. And I just continued to sow love. And I knew that because I had sown love, I would reap love. Many sons and daughters would be mine. Many blessings would be mine. My sacrifice of love would release a harvest of love. And that act of love has released his love in your heart. You need to forgive. You've got to let it go. And you learn a lifestyle of doing that. And like Jesus, you commit to have faith in this law. That is, you love and you love and you love, at some point in God's timing, you will reap, like every good farmer knows, a harvest of what God wants. I'm going to ask this to pray. Father, would you take and would you begin take even one name on that list that we've put there and would you begin to teach us how to forgive and how to move into love. In fact, right now might be a great time, even as we sing this song, it may be a great time for you just to say, God, I want you to release this person, and I choose to release them with you, and I will love. I will so love. I will believe in this law of love. And I will let you in your time bring about the harvest. If that's your prayer right now, just tell God that. Let him know it. Maybe you need time to process this. Father, thank you. Amen.